Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Family Prosperity Podcast. I'm Michael Redden, and today we're going to talk about the most sophisticated tool in asset protection. It's what everyone usually calls and wants to talk about. You've probably heard about it. You've probably read it on about it on the Internet, and there's a lot of both misconceptions out there and a lot of truth, and today that's going to be Asset Protection Trust, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So one thing that uh, folks need to really realize is when it comes to these kinds of trusts, these asset protection trusts, not everybody has them. Not everybody needs them. But I can promise you this, that every family with successful intergenerational wealth has them in some form or another. These trusts are really the backbone of a long-term family governance strategy a long-term wealth strategy, and a long-term asset protection strategy. This is the nexus where it kind of all goes together. And uh, these are also the main ways that we're going to separate you from your money. You know, we've talked about this. It's that ownership piece. It is um, handing your money off to someone else to hold for you because your business entity might protect you from the business, but this is how you protect your money from you, and a lot of times even the business. Because let's look about this part too, okay? Businesses are people. Trusts are people just the same. But unlike real people, trusts don't die. Neither do your business. And that's why they can be a useful asset, a useful tool in both asset protection and wealth preservation, and in family governance because, you know, the main idea is to protect all of your money so you can pass it on and then to make your family a living, breathing person just like your company so that when you pass on, your family doesn't die with you. So that it doesn't become your kid's family. It becomes the Smiths. And the Smiths go on down through the generations. That's what the Cargills did. That is what the Ox did from the New York Times. That's what all of these really, truly successful, iconic families have done. And it's the same uh, challenge that some of those families like the Cokes are facing now as they enter that third generation. Who are we as a family? Now that Patriarch Frederick's dead, now that some of the brothers are starting to pass, who, is, who are the Cokes? Who are they going forward? They, they've already split into those factions. But if you put these all together and you set your family up this way, they can't fall into those factions. You won't have winners and losers. And let's think about this other part from an asset protection context. Remember, business ent entities are great, but if you're running your business, how many times are you going to have your biggest deals? Your uh, ones that are going to give you the most reward, the most wealth, but they also give you the most risk. How many times... Is that going to be handled by someone other than you? And if those deals go badly, how often is there not going to be some element of you in there? You know, it's something that goes, goes as you planned and they want to say, hey, this isn't what you told me. Someone told me incorrectly. How many times is that someone not going to be you? Because they sue the company and they often will sue that executive or that salesperson or that 
other individual who made those representations to them about the deal, about the product, about the service, that person's always named just about. I mean, go back and look through those things. Unless it's a giant corporation like Walmart, and sometimes even a giant corporation like Walmart will have an executive named. In most of our family businesses, that executive's going to be you. And then you're right where you didn't want to be. You're fighting to keep your business's assets and your business's um, activities from infecting you personally. But now you're named, so you're in it. One of the ways we've talked about handling this is the ownership piece, right? Well, if it's part of this is owned by an asset protection trust, that trust isn't running your business. So if you only own 10 or 20% of your business and the asset protection trust owns the rest, if you're sued, only 20% of that's at stake. If it owns your other assets and you're holding on to 20 or 30% of your wealth, that's all that's ever at risk. You've taken it off the table. Not all of it's in there. You know, you've, you've built that up and it's moving along. Now, these are misused from time to time, right? There are people out there who use this to hide money from the IRS. They use it to hide money from their spouses. They use it in those deceptive ways. So just like any other tool can be misused, these can too. A business can be misused. Contracts are misused. You've got to use them properly and you've got to set them up properly. This is never going to be something you use to hide from the IRS or to hide from your spouse or to hide from an, a lawsuit that's currently coming down the pipe. You're going to have to face those things if they're already there. But if you're not trying to do that, if you're just trying to separate yourself from your money and create that legacy and that structure that can pass these things down to your children over the years, over the generations, 7, 8, 10, 100, any of those generations, if you're looking for that, these are very, very good tools to use. And to do these right, you are going to have to give up some control, right? You have less control of your business if you don't own it. If this trust owns it, then the control's really in the trustee. The trustee is going to do what's right for you, what's right for your family, but that's the whole point. You've got to give us some control to protect it. Because if you're controlling it, you never really took it off the table if you're in full control. It's still out there and exposed. And that makes some people pretty nervous. But if you write these correctly and you fund these trusts correctly, then yeah, you've given up ownership. You've given up control, but now there's someone else looking out for you. Someone else managing that so that if something happens to you, if your business fails, the wealth that's involved in there isn't all going to go away. You may be given these personal guarantees and things, but then you're not guaranteeing everything, okay? You're not going to guarantee that anything you touch is going to be basically exposed going forward. And that's what you've got to remember. You're going to give up some control because you're not going to have that direct ownership. But that is the trade-off to have this security on there. We've, we're used to that kind of thing, you know, that you're going to give up a little bit of your control, a little bit of your autonomy sometimes to get some protection for that. We, we're used to that in this day and age. It's an inconvenient truth, but it's one that's absolutely there. And... With that power that you're going to give these things up, you're going to get a lot more things in return, okay? And before we kind of get into how some of these things work and some of the really special features of it, we should really talk about different trusts in general and kind of what's there so you guys can kind of understand that. 
Now, if you went to a lawyer to get your will and things like that, and they said, hey, you need a will and a revocable living trust. That's not the kind of trust we're talking about, okay? That is not an asset protection trust. That trust is there basically to avoid probate. It might protect the assets of your heirs and things like that, but in the majority of states, that's not going to protect your assets here and now. And most of the time, you're going to be the trustee of that thing. And if you're the trustee of your trust, then things are exposed, right? Because they sue you, they get the trust. They sue you, they can ask the court to make you hand over the money because it's for your benefit. I mean, if you're in charge of money that's supposed to help you, does that trust really exist? That's the theory of what's called a self-settled trust. You settled it, I mean, you gave it money for your benefit. And in most states, that's enough to make the trust not protect your assets. There are special states out there. Um, more states are passing these laws every time. I'm um, every uh, legislative session and things like that that are putting holes in this and actually letting you protect your assets with it even if you made it for yourself. The big important ones are Alaska, Tennessee, and Nevada. Those are the ones that most of us who do asset protection kind of plan for and plan to use for those kinds of things. And these also have a little bit of a tax advantage. And that's because Nevada and Tennessee and Alaska, they don't have that state-level income tax issue, right? What we're looking at is money comes into the trust... The trust may pay that federal tax rate, which is higher than an individual, but they don't pay state-level taxes for what they keep inside the trust. And then going forward from that year after year after that first year, any of the growth inside that trust and those assets isn't going to be subject to state-level taxes. And that's great. So why am I told you that? Because there's really kind of two ways people go about this, right? If you're older towards retirement and you want to retire, and you want to put your family governance and your legacy and things in place, but you don't really want to be a part of that business, don't really need to benefit from the assets and the wealth that your family's, that you've built up for your family, your family's accumulated, then you can go ahead and make that trust in any state. You can make it for your kids and your grandkids and everybody else, just not you. And then it'll be protected no matter what state that you live in. So you can set it up that way, make it not settled by you, so it's a third-party settled trust. And why am I telling you these technical terms like self-settled and third-party settled? Because you really got to understand what those mean, how they work, because once you set this up, there's going to be a lot of talk in the industry. You may need to talk to your advisors like attorneys and things, and you want to know what they're talking about. And so a self-settled trust is something you set up with yourself as a beneficiary. It could be others too, but you're a beneficiary. If you set it up where other people are beneficiary and not you, that's called third-party settled, and every state's going to use that for asset protection. Those self-settled ones really going to give only asset protection in those states like Nevada and those other places. And then once you set it up there, of course, you're going to start transferring assets there. And most of us out there are going to have to start this way where we make this trust, this self-settled trust, put it in a state like Nevada, start putting assets in there, not all of them, but as we progress through life, as we get towards retirement, we'll start putting more and more assets in there, we'll have that trust buy new companies instead of us, and that way we can provide some of that asset protection and make people go to Nevada and fight for it, because that's the big thing, right? 
We all know there are some states that have high tax rates like California and Minnesota and putting it in those states kind of shields it from some of those taxes unless, you know, your, you know, your, your main business, if it's in a state that's taxed, that's still going to get taxed. But those other places you might buy, those investments you might do, those kinds of things, and just your money growing in stock accounts and other things, those aren't going to be taxed at the state level when they're in Nevada and Tennessee and places like that. But the biggest piece of that is that you can start this asset protection part because if Tennessee or South Dakota or Alaska or Nevada have those better laws, then sure, they can sue you in your home state. But then if they want the assets, they've got to go to the state where the trust is and go into Nevada courts and things. And let me tell you, those states, because they set their financial system up that way, that they want to encourage this, and they've made an industry out of these trusts. Those states' laws and those states' courts have a vested interest in keeping those protected. As long as you haven't done those things, those fraudulent transfers, those dirty tricks, those sneaky things that make it to where you're not just trying to protect yourself, but you're trying to hurt somebody. Because hiding assets, usually that's to hurt somebody, right? You know it's wrong, but you do it. If that's you and you've done that, then they're probably not going to protect you. But if it's a part of your planning and your family governance and you want to set that estate planning up and put your family decision process, put your family uh, dispute resolution process, actually give it the strength of law and tie it to money because you get to talk about how these decisions are made in these trusts, right? And that trust can say, hey, Mr. Trustee, the family board's going to vote and you're going to follow the family board's vote. It can say, Mr. Trustee, the family board has a dispute resolution policy, and any of these kinds of disputes, you're not going to decide them. You're going to submit them to this arbitration, and you're going to abide by it. And if one of these family members doesn't abide by it, you're going to pay. You're going to get the lawyer to go to the court system and make them abide by that uh, dispute resolution decision. So this is... Just a preview of how you can start making your family governance be real. And this is what other families do, the really successful families. They're going to have this stuff documented. They're going to tie it into the trusts and things. Some of them have trusted each generation, and they create new ones and have them kind of spill. Some of them do that. The best ones have that one trust, that dynasty trust, that's an asset protection trust that goes eight generations, 15 generations, and tend to last forever. And these states are making these and setting them up that way. Some states have a 1,000 years trust can last. Some states have 365. If you're not one of those states like Nevada and things like that that have that really long period, then you're going to be making trusts over and over again. But if you really want to set this up straight and set yourself right so the family can have those things go forward, you set it up in one of those states where it lasts forever, your dispute resolution process and all those, you've, you've already talked about in your family governance how you want to change the rules. You set the rules, you talk about how you're going to change it. And if the trust says, I'm going to follow whatever rules are in place at the time, that gives you the chance to kind of do some of those things, right? That's one of the great things about setting up your family governance and putting it in a trust's hands. You can start shielding assets, you can start doing tax planning, you can start really making that family be a living, breathing person. You know, we've talked about that. Your corporations are people. Trusts are people, too. And you can embody your family in a structure of a trust that holds all these assets and helps you guys control it and do those things. And that's really, really the ultimate goal. And some families are going to want to go one step further. They're not just going to want to stay here in the United States. 
when we look at the truly successful families, whether they're the mega wealthy billionaire families or they're just families who have had businesses for seven, eight, ten generations, you know, they're you last that long, you accumulate some wealth, but maybe you're not in the billions. There's some point in there where someone in that family may end up living overseas or just in Canada or someplace like that. And these other jurisdictions sometimes are, are can work with trust well too, you know. We talk about Nevada and places. You can put these trusts in the Cook Islands. You can put these trusts in Nevis in the Caribbean. It's not like you're going and hiding them by going to uh, the Bahamas or uh, any of these other kinds of accounts or going to Switzerland and putting those accounts in there. And it's, it's okay to put them overseas like that if you're not trying to hide them from taxes. If you're trying to set up this family governance and set up this family entity and it's easier to have an international element. You can have parts in the U.S. and parts elsewhere. And I know this may make some people's heads spin, but there are people right now listening to the podcast who have these families with these mixed citizenships. And uh, sometimes it's not to their benefit to have everything just in the United States. Sometimes they need a, a little presence overseas. And these trusts can do that. They can live in more than one place. Okay. You can have a trustee here in the United States, and you can have a trustee over there in the Cook Islands, or a trustee over in uh, uh, Britain, or France, or Belgium, or possibly even China. And what that will do for you is, it your family then exists everywhere family members exist. And they all still follow the family governance, and you still get the results that you're looking for. And that brings me to the next big thing. People always want to know who should be the trustee of these things. And you don't want any one particular family member to be completely in charge of that piece. What you're going to want to have is that professional trustee. If there's a family member who is a trustee, then you know people are going to start to look to them and see them as having a little more power than the other family and things like that. And it's going to start that infighting of who's really in charge and who's really calling the shots. But the other piece of this is your family is going to need some professional services. You're going to need to have these books and things kind of kept. You're going to need to have some of these other things that you don't want to do kept. And there's going to need to be someone who isn't a family member that can answer for any of those kinds of uh, things like lawsuits when you come to the asset protection piece, right? If you get sued there, you don't want to be a family member kind of answering that piece. You want to be that professional trustee who's totally not involved with your family. Because we've talked about this, right? The more you control it, the less likely it is to protect you. If you're the trustee and then, you know, the court is order you to give the money out. Well, what if they make this argument that this trust is really you because this trustee is a family member and they just do whatever you say and, and they should really ignore the trust. That's why when you have that professional trustee in the way, that professional trust company, they can't make that argument because you're not the only person they're trustee for. They're doing these kinds of things uh, as their job and they know those rules and laws and they are able to step in and defend, and that makes that really that separate independent person and not just you. Just like corporate governance made your business really be that separate independent person and not you, you got to have the same thing for this trust. So these are indispensable tools for asset protection because you've got your business to separate the commerce from you. What separates you from the business and the threats to you from these assets in your family, it's that asset protection trust. And if it's built properly and you do your family governance, it becomes the core centerpiece of your family. And it, has all, it owns all the companies, whether they're holding companies, whether they operate businesses, it holds those things. 
and it doesn't have to have a commercial purpose. You know, you can't if you put it into a holding company. Well, what's the holding company's purpose? To make money for the owners. What is the purpose of a trust? Whatever you say it is, it could be to make money. It could be to run the family legacy. It could be to take care of the family and pay for family education. It could be all of those things. It's what gives your family that legal structure of life. You're breathing life into it with your family governance. This is the structure that's going to symbolize it to the world for that legal sense. And it's going to carry on and that trust will not die. So, so long as your family keeps up with family governance and does these things, and sometimes even in generations when it fails to do so, that governance is written in and it can shepherd and hold these assets and get through those tough spots in your family without those same human frailties. And then the next generation comes back, breathes new life into it, but the family didn't die. And that legacy continues on for another generation. So I hope that this last podcast that talks about this last asset protection tool that you're going to use. You're going to mix this with the ownership and the exemptions and the companies and everything else we've talked about to come up with this asset protection plan. And I hope you can see a little bit more about how it goes to family governance. Um, we will be talking soon about the purpose of asset protection and how it goes with family governance to get those things going forward. But uh, I hope this teases a little bit in your mind about what's possible why you should use these, how they should be used, and where they get through. So, again, I'm Michael Redden, and thanks for listening. We hope you've enjoyed the content from Family Prosperity Partners. And if you want to learn more and you want to be a part of a group of like-minded families who are pursuing excellence both in their business and their legacies and are really committed to that family governance and really committed to creating that lasting legacy to affect their communities and affect their families throughout all the generations, then you're going to, going to join this community. And uh, we welcome you in advance to the Family Biz Group. And if you'd like to join, click on the link that's in the description down here. And we'll see you in there and hope to see you and join the conversation soon.